Man, I am so thankful that the Stantons are now a part of the extended family of Crossroads working in Hungary and uh, really all across Europe with uh, refugees and the work that they're doing through teaching and loving people. It is so exciting to be a part of a church whose heart really is to see the gospel message be shared across the world, to see the love and the peace of Jesus be shared with everybody uh, that we come in contact with. And so, with all that said, I want to welcome those of you joining us online on YouTube, Facebook, Crossroads Live, Podcast, wherever you might be today. Welcome also Fort Lupton campus and of course here at our Thornton location. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Manning and I am the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and today it's my privilege to walk us through and to wrap up this series that we've been going through in the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you are new with us, just know that over the last couple of years, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke like it's a TV television series where we've been taking uh, short chunks of it, looking at a series, and really looking at it for a specific reason to understand what does it truly mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Like, is Jesus worth following in your life? Does God really care for you? Is Jesus Jesus really got, and should that even matter to you? And so the whole purpose of this series, really over the last couple of years, as we've dipped our toe into it several times, is to see Jesus for who he is and what he was all about so that you can make a decision for yourself whether he's worth following. And we just believe that the best way to go about doing that is to open up one of the biographical accounts in church world, we call those gospels, and to look at Jesus for who he is. And so over these last couple of weeks, over these last eight weeks, we've been been tracking through Jesus kind of in the middle of his ministry. We're about two years into Jesus's ministry, and in chapter 9 of Luke, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem. And what that meant is that Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem for a specific reason. He's traveling to the city of Jerusalem in order that he might die on the cross for the sins of the world. That this is a decision that Jesus made to turn his face towards Jerusalem and to head in that direction. Now, this journey from where he's at to Jerusalem will end up taking him about a year as he weaves through Israel. And along that year's journey, we get the opportunity, just like his disciples did, to sit at his feet and to hear some of the most profound teachings that he gave in his entire ministry. And over the last eight weeks, we've, we've looked at some of these teachings, teachings that Jesus gave to us as he, as he taught us that when it comes to following him, that there is a radical cost to our discipleship. That following Jesus is the good life, but it's not always the easy life. That we looked at parables such as the Good Samaritan, where Jesus looks at us and he says to those of us, if you say that you love Jesus or you love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, then you're going to look a lot like the outsider who showed tremendous compassion, con tremendous mercy, even when it didn't make a lot of sense, even when it was difficult, even when it was not convenient, even when it cost financially and socially. We've watched how Jesus has taught us about how to make priorities in our lives, what it looks like to, to understand and to truly have repentance in our worlds. We looked at this amazing gift of faith that God's given it and how we're to take it into the rest of the world. We've looked at what it looks like to, to have God as our Father and to be shrewd for all things that when it comes to eternity. And today, as we wrap up this series, we're gonna take one more look at another profound teaching of Jesus. It's one of his most famous. It's a parable that we call the persistent widow. And so if you have your Bible, you can find this parable in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse one. And as you turn there, let me just remind you, or let me tell you that when it comes to this point in the story, Jesus is near the end. 
We're just a couple of weeks away from Jesus entering into Jerusalem on what we call the triumphal entry. When Jesus enters in, and that triumphal entry into Jerusalem marks the last week of Jesus' life before the cross. The end is near. Jesus knows it. His teachings are becoming more intense. The religious leaders of the day and his relationship with them is becoming more fractured. That at every moment through these chapters, as we've walked through them, we've seen the religious leaders and Jesus at odds because everything that Jesus is speaking about goes against what the religious leaders stood for. That he was attacking their way of life. He was attacking their power. He was attacking their influence. He was attacking the life that they had built as he speaks about the kingdom of God. And they've had it about up to here. I mean, it's a one hundred at this point. And so one day Jesus is out and about and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they come up to him and they ask him this question in chapter 17, verse 20. The Pharisees ask him this question. They say, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways, oh, I'm sorry, that being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. That they look at Jesus and they, they go, Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Now, for us, this looks like a simple question. When will the kingdom of God come? But be assured, this is the Pharisees picking a fight. See, at this point, everybody in and around Israel has either started to believe or is least thinking that it's a possibility that Jesus is the Messiah the Savior, the one that was promised in the Old Testament, the one that would, that would bring in God's rule and reign into the kingdom. That at this point, anybody who's had contact with Jesus is at least starting to believe that maybe Jesus is the Messiah. But the religious leaders, they're not buying it. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so they come up to Jesus for what looks like a simple question to us, but really it's them picking a fight. And they look at Jesus and they go, oh, great rabbi teacher. Will you tell us when the Messiah is going to come? Will you tell us when the Messiah comes and, and takes out our enemy, i.e. Rome, and sets up the kingdom of David and brings peace and, and righteousness into this world to be enjoyed? Be sure this was the Pharisees picking a fight. And Jesus, so aware of what the religious elite's motivation is, that they do not believe him to be the Messiah, he looks at them and he says to them, if your only way of recognizing the kingdom of God is by miraculous signs that bring down the Roman Empire, then you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it because the kingdom of God, it's already in your midst. And at this moment, the Pharisees would have lost their collective minds because what Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, boys, I am the Messiah. I am bringing God's kingdom right now, and I'm building a new people. The people who follow me, they're a part of God's kingdom. Pharisees, you wanted to fight? It's coming for you. And they get way more than they bargain for because Jesus just doesn't stop with that simple answer. He goes on in chapter 17 and he says to them that we're not just going to leave it there. He continues to answer their question and he starts talking about the end times, like the end world end times. And he looks at the people in the crowd and the Pharisees and he says, quit looking for the extreme and the, the miraculous signs and realize that the kingdom is, is quietly already at hands, but also realize 
that there is a final act when it comes to the Messiah that will not be quiet or hidden. In fact, it'll be like a crack of lightning in the sky that draws everybody's attention. Nobody will miss the second coming of the Messiah. But before all that has to happen, he says, that the Messiah first has to suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, what Jesus is talking about there in in chapter 17, and all of this will make sense by the time we get to the parable, is that Jesus gets into this end times discussion. He's talking about the end of the world. And he's talking really in in this space about his two comings onto this earth, that two times in history Jesus comes to the earth. The first time is what we're reading about in Luke. When Jesus comes onto this earth to help us understand who God is and what God is all about, and ultimately to die for the sins of the world. That's the first time. But we're also told throughout scripture that there's a second coming of Jesus. And in that second coming, he doesn't come as a lamb to be sacrificed, but rather he comes as the warrior king and that when he comes, everybody will know because it will be a crack of lightning that everyone will see. And when Jesus comes back that second time, he describes in chapter 17 what those days will be like. And he compares it to the flood of Noah and to the destruction of Sodom. And as he begins to explain what those days are going to be like, he captures everybody's attention. Because everybody in this culture and in this day knew what those days represented. That those days represented God's judgment. That the story of Noah is where the entire world gets swallowed up by a flood. The the story of Sodom is that the whole city is consumed by fire. In Jewish culture in the Old Testament, these were the great judgments of God. And Jesus looks at the crowd. He looks at these religious elites, these Pharisees. And he says, before I come again, the days will be like those days. Like the days of Noah and the days of Sodom. He says this in in verse 27, that, that in those days they were eating and drinking And they were marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all of them. In other words, Jesus says that those days, those end days, will be like regular, ordinary life. That the world will be full of busy, ordinary life when the unmistakable lightning cracks in the sky and the second coming is initiated. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees in all of this, and he targets in eye to eye, and he says, so don't be like Lot's wife. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Lot's wife, it happens in the city of Sodom, that God declares that because of Sodom's sin, that that the city is going to be consumed by fire. His judgment and wrath is going to come on Sodom, but he's going to save Lot's family. He's going to save Lot and his wife. And as he says that I'm going to save him, he gives us the command. He says, you've got to flee the city, and you can't look back, that the city is full of judgment, that there's nothing for you to look back on. There's nothing for you to long for. Keep your eyes on me. Keep going forward. Don't look back at the city. And so as Lot and his wife are fleeing from the city, in that moment of crisis, Lot's wife cannot help herself, but she looks back with a longing heart, and in that moment, she turns into a pillar of salt. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, don't be like that. Don't be so full of this world that you lose sight of me. And what Jesus makes so crystal clear 
for us is that eternal life hangs on whether we are ready when Jesus comes again. And the Pharisees and the disciples and us today, we, we look at these passages and we raise our hand and we go, Jesus, like, I don't want to become a pillar of salt. Like, I don't want your judgment on my life. How will I know if I'm ready? How will I, how will I know? What will that look like? How do I know that I'm going to endure to the very end? How can I make sure? That there's not so much love in me for this world that I lose sight of you in the ordinary, regular, everyday business of life. Everybody is leaning into the uneasiness of this moment. How can we make sure that we make it to the end? How can we endure? And in Vintage Jesus, he tells them a parable. He tells them a parable about a needy widow. And in it, he gives us the answer to the question we're asking. And as we look at this parable today, this is one of the parables, one of the few parables where he actually interprets the parable for us so that we understand what it's all about even before we read it. Chapter 18, verse 1, if you have their Bibles, Jesus says this, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose hearts. Now, pause there for a moment. Jesus says the answer to the question that we have, how will I know that I'm ready? How will I, how will I know that I haven't given myself fully over to this world and lost sight of Jesus? How, how will I endure to the very end? Jesus says it's easy. You will always be in prayer and you won't lose heart. Don't grow weary of praying. And then he gives them this parable, verse two. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? So the answer to our question, how will we know if we're ready? How do we endure to the very ends? How do we make sure that we don't end up like those in the days of Noah? How do we make sure that we're not consumed by fire like the city of Sodom? How do we make sure that we're not a pillar of salt like Lot's wife? Jesus' answer is that we are to pray with the same persistence that this widow came to the unrighteous judge. Now, let's be honest here. Before we talk about the parable and ultimately what it means, we have to deal with the tension that Jesus is comparing God to an unrighteous judge, don't we? I mean, when we hear that, there's just something in us that doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like it, doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It's like we look at this and we go, Jesus, like, like you got to help me understand, how is God, who is loving and merciful and good, that's what we read in Scripture, how is he like an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge? That, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus. And the reason that it doesn't make any sense to us 
is because oftentimes, when it comes to the parables of Jesus, we treat them like a morality tale. Now, if you're unfamiliar with a morality tale, think of something like Aesop's fables. If you've ever read any of Aesop's fables, those are morality tales. And when it comes to morality tales, the point of a morality tale is to teach good morals. And so what we do in a morality tale is we find the good examples in the story and we go, be like that, be like, like the good example. We find the bad examples in the story and we say, we need to learn from those. Don't be like that. Learn the moral of the story. That's a morality tale. Now the problem is, is that when it comes to the parables of Jesus, they are not morality tales. Even though we try to understand them as such, they are not like Aesop's fables. These are not Jesus's fables. That's not what's going on here. The parables of Jesus are simple stories that are making a spiritual point. That's what a parable is. It's a simple story that's making a spiritual point. We saw this so well last week demonstrated in The Shrewd Manager where Jesus tells a story about a crook and his shrewdness as a crook, and then he looks at his disciples and he says, you go be like that guy. And we're like, what? Like, Jesus, you want, you want us to be like a crook? Like, how do you teach that in children's Sunday school? Right? Like, go out and be a crook, kids. The reason that we have trouble with that story is because we treat it like a morality tale. We couldn't teach our kids that, and so we just skip over it and we move on and we move on with life, Right? But there's a point to that story, as Tim pointed out last week, and it's not morality. The point of the story is that crooks have to be shrewd. And as a crook, you have to be able to, to size up the situation. You have to be able to see the opportunity. You have to be able to figure out how to, how to turn things for your advantage. And Jesus looks out his disciples and he says, wouldn't it be awesome? I mean, wouldn't it be really great if my people were as shrewd with the resources that I've given them for the kingdom of God as crooks are for their own interests. It's not a morality tale. It's a simple story that's used to make a spiritual point. And so with that in mind, we look at this parable and it's important for us to understand that this isn't a morality tale. And we can't get tripped up by Jesus comparing God to an unrighteous judge. We have to rather look at this and say, this is a simple story that's giving a spiritual point. What's the spiritual point? And the good news for us, because this one is tough, is that Jesus gives it to us to the beginning. He says, the spiritual point is to pray always and to not lose hearts. The way that we endure all the way to the end times, the way that we know that we're ready is to pray always and to not lose hearts. So the question is, is how does the parable encourage us to that end? Well, the story goes like this. There's a widow who comes to an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge, and she's pleading with him to help. She has, she's facing some unjust circumstances in her life, and she's struggling in her life, and she comes to this judge, and she's hoping that he would use his authority, that he would use his leverage to help her in this situation. Now, what we need to understand is when it comes to Jewish culture, that the widows, the widows were at the bottom rung of society. They had no power, they had no prestige, that they were possessions without an owner, that's the way the culture saw them, that the best a widow could hope for was to beg on the side of the street or to walk through the fields and pick up the grain that was not good enough for the harvest. That was the best a widow could expect in life. In fact, in Jewish culture during this time, a widow would not be allowed to speak to a judge in public. 
that as Jesus is telling this story, the crowd has to be thinking Jesus is setting us up for a joke. Like, here comes the punchline. And yet, Jesus isn't kidding around. Jesus isn't tossing out jokes here. He makes the widow the star of the story because Jesus wants us to see ourselves in the widow. Poor, weak, totally dependent. Her only source of help, this unrighteous judge, our only source of help, God. And so the widow shows up again and again and again and again until the judge is like, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But this woman, she is driving me crazy. And so I'm going to do whatever she wants me to do. I'm going to find justice for this woman just to get her off my back. She is wearing me out. And we look at this parable and we go, like, man, like, what is this about? Like, are you saying there's a chance that I can wear out God with my prayers? Like, if I just pray enough for something that I want, then there's a chance that I can just wear God out. Well, to be sure that we don't misinterpret this passage, it's not about the wearing out of an unrighteous human judge, therefore we have a chance at wearing out God. Understanding this parable hinges on everything about God being different from this judge. In verse 2, maybe you notice, Jesus gives us two characteristics about this judge. The first one is that he has no fear of God. The second is that he has no regard for man, for humans. That he does not love God and he does not please have pleasure in people. He does not delight in people. He does not like people. It's repeated for us in in verse 4. In other words, these two marks of the judge are the very obstacles that keep him from helping the widow. That he has no fear, no love from God. Therefore, he has no care for people, particularly a needy widow like this woman. But the opposite would also be true, isn't it? At least that's the point of the parable. That's the point that Jesus is driving home, that if you do have the fear of God in you, then you do have pleasure in people, and you would be moved, you would be prone to help anyone, especially someone who is is needy like this lowly widow. So when Jesus tells us that the very obstacle that almost kept this judge from helping the widow was his failure to fear God, And if a judge who has no fear of God and no regard for people was swayed by the persistent petitions, how much more certain can we be in a God who is merciful and loving to hear all those who cry by day and by night? God delights in you. Write that down. Don't ever forget it. In fact, if you ever doubt it, just turn to Psalm 146, 149. In Psalm 149, it's, it's one of the most beautiful chapters that we have in, in all of Scripture. And in verse 4, it says this, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The Lord takes pleasure in you. The Lord takes pleasure in you you. See, the point of comparison is that not that God is an unrighteous judge, but that he responds with help 
as his people who he delights in, cries in day and night. And in verse 7, Jesus draws this lesson out. Always pray. Don't lose hearts. If you cry by day and by night, if you always pray and don't lose heart, you will not end up like Lot's wife. That's the point. You will not be left in judgment, that your faith will endure, your love will endure, that God will vindicate you when the Messiah comes again. Therefore, always pray and don't lose hearts. And then Jesus asks this pointed question in verse 8. He says, so when the Son of Man comes again, when Jesus steps onto this earth again, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes back at his second coming, will he find disciples? Will he find you and me having kept up in our prayer lives? Or will we have been swept away by the ordinary, regular busyness of everyday life and given up? Jesus says as the end times approach, that there is an unbreakable link between your prayer life and your faith that the vibrancy of your prayer life is indicative of the strength of your faith. That as the end times close in on us and as the injustices surround us, that your only hope, your only source is God himself. Always pray, don't lose hearts. See, when it comes to faith and prayer, they stand together and they fall together. That faith holds on to the promises of God's goodness. That faith never gives up and faith never loses heart because it always trusts in God. Don't give up on God because God never gives up on you. Jesus says, you got to hang in there. You got to stay with me. You got to keep going. And his promise in the parable is that God will always hear you. That Jesus says, as the end times draw near, stay with me. He says, stay with me when you're healthy and happy. Stay with me when you have a job and your bank account is full. Stay with me when the sun is shining down on you and the wind is blowing at your back. Stay with me. Stay with me when you're lean and hungry and don't know where your next meal will come from. Stay with me when your health falters and you suffer like you never deemed possible. Stay with me when you, everything that you've worked for in your life comes crumbling down before you. Stay with me when those whose friendship you coveted can't even remember your name. Stay with me when you're lonely and tired and afraid. Stay with me one more day, one more time, one more prayer. Stay with me because I will come again and no matter how dark the night is, light has come into this world. And one day when I come back, I'll come back as lightning cracks in the sky and all the injustices of the worlds will be made right. Stay with me. Always pray. Don't lose hearts. See, this is the story of the gospel. We poor, needy widows falling before a merciful, loving God going, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you. Save me. If God's whispering in your heart that very thing today, 
If you've gone through this world, maybe you've faced injustices, or maybe world, the world is right in your eyes. But you know that there's something in you that's tugging at your very heart right now. We call that the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is drawing you in to be in relationship with Jesus, to not lose hearts, to be in relationship, to pray always with him. And if you want that relationship, it's available to every single one of us. We would love to have that conversation with you. The easy way to start that conversation is to simply text the name Jesus to the number 720-513-1933. We would love to walk this journey with you. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, we come to you and, uh, Lord, we look at a parable like this, one that at times is a little bit confusing, but, Lord, largely about the days that are ahead of us. Lord, the time when, when the scriptures called the end times come. Lord, and we know from, from our reading of scripture, maybe even from our experience in this world, that, that the days don't get better. that the struggle comes. And Lord, for many of us, we've, we've experienced maybe a small taste or maybe even a large taste of what that's looked like in this last year and the struggle that's come with a worldwide pandemic. And so God, I don't know if, if that's a sign of the end times, Lord, or, or a warning to us to remain diligent. But God, I pray that we would. That in this time, in, in these days, Lord, that we would always pray, that we would, that we would lift our hearts and our eyes to you, that we would not be so in love with this world that we lose sight of who you are, what you've done in your love for each and every one of us. And so God, today I pray. Lord, I pray specifically for those who maybe don't believe that they're good enough. God, who are hurting, who are lonely, who are dealing with anger, maybe loss. Lord, who have come here today looking for something, Lord, I pray that they find you. Lord, speak to their hearts now. Move in them in such a way that they see you as a good and merciful God who's calling out, stay with me. Lord, we give that to you. Lord, knowing that you're good, that you hear us. You hear our cries every day and every night. Lord, it's a privilege to be able to come and to pray with you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As is what we do every week here at Crossroads Church is that we come together in communion, remembering the great love that God showed us, that in our sin, mercy, and forgiveness were offered through the sacrifice of Jesus. We've spent a lot of time today talking about the end times, but what makes any of that possible is Jesus' first coming where his body was broken and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so today, we remember together by taking the bread and eating and remembering Jesus' body broken for us. And we take the cup 
One, as we look back on history of Jesus' blood being spilt. And while that humbles us to no end, it is also our celebration that God does love, that our sin is taken care of, and that eternal life is forever ours. And so we drink today. We're gonna sing of the love of Jesus, his great faithfulness. And so I'm gonna invite everybody in the house to go ahead and stand online. Lord, you can, you can do whatever it is that you feel comfortable in expressing worship to our Lord. One of the things that we've talked a lot about today is prayer. If you're here, if you're online, and you feel like you're losing heart, and you need someone to pray with you, we wanna stand next to you. In the back of the room here and at Fort Lupton, are people ready to pray for you online? Just click the button. We'll pray with you there as well. Let's sing together. Amen.